So I think that we need to uh, begin tonight just by uh, giving the band a round of applause. That's okay with you guys. They're in the back. They don't even know it. Um, you know, we are just so grateful for all the musicians that come to lead us here. And um, I, I just was overwhelmed with uh, not only the words that we're singing together as a church, but um, just their sacrifice to be here. So later at the end of the service, you know, let them know how much you appreciate them. Uh, they're, they're awesome. So I have a question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you in this room here get hangry? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, that's like the entire room. It's unbelievable. Uh, we all struggle with hunger, right? And some of us here get hangry, and some of us, uh, you know, get angry when we get hungry. What happens when you're hunger? When you're hungry, right? Is there's one thing in your mind and one thing only, and that's find food, right? Find food as fast as possible. Doesn't matter what it is. Just eat. You know, and hunger drives us so much that we have commercials that speak to this, right? You know the very famous commercial where it says, you're not you when you're hungry, grab a Snickers. I think they changed it to Snickers satisfies. Uh, but hunger drives us. This is why we put food out in the beginning. Uh, for those of you that are hangry, because we want to make sure that you eat something so that you can pay attention and worship so you're not thinking about dinner. Even right now as I'm speaking, some of you are thinking about what you're gonna eat for dinner. We, I know this. This is why we put food before and after the service because hangry is a real thing. We're driven by our hunger, right? When, when you get hungry, when hunger strikes you physically, you will do whatever is necessary to fill that, to satisfy. And we all have different tastes and we like different food, but we're all driven by hunger. But see, the thing is that we're not only driven by physical hunger. Our hearts are hungry as well. Maybe you've, you've caught on to that tonight as we've been talking about uh, satisfaction and purpose and meaning. This, these are questions that our heart asks, right? How, how can I be satisfied? How can I find not just momentary, but consistent happiness? How do I live a life that is flourishing? How do I live a blessed life? Our hearts desire and crave those things, and it's normal and it's natural because we're actually told that God has set eternity into our hearts. Ecclesiastes, uh, which is an amazing and, and frustrating book all at the same time in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity into their heart, into your heart and my heart. Yet so that man, mankind, will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning, even to the end. So what does it mean that God has set eternity in your heart so that you will not find out the work or what took place in the beginning or the end. It means that every single human being, all of us in this room, we all have a longing that is in our heart. We have desires. We are hungry for answers and for satisfaction and for understanding. We are the only species that is conscious of itself. We ask questions about our existence. Why are we here? What is the purpose? We ask questions all the time, right? We love to have these discussions and philosophize like, what happened before? everything was created. How did it happen? Is there an afterlife? Is, is death just end and black, or is there something beyond? We are always trying to ask and answer questions about our place in the universe and our purpose in the universe and meaning. We want to know these things. And one of the most frustrating things, I think, to be human is to recognize that regardless of, of how far science progresses or what science reveals, it will never answer those questions because it's incapable of it. It's incapable of letting us 
know and give the answers that our heart is really longing for, which is purpose and meaning and, and what happens after death and what came before, questions about God and, and just why we're here in life and how we're supposed to live it. You see, these philosophical questions that are, are written in all of our hearts are not just like curious musings about, well, how did it all happen in the beginning or, or what happens after the end? They're, they're very personal questions. They're questions that all of us have asked, and you're here because you've asked the questions. Is there a God? Is there a heaven? Maybe you're still asking those questions. You're wanting to know not only is there a God, is there a heaven? You're wanting to know, does God have purpose? Does he have meaning to life? And not just like in general, these personal questions lead to the present, right? They're questions that we're asking maybe on a daily basis, at least a few times a year, which is, am I living life right Am I living the way that I'm supposed to be living? Am I missing out on something? Am I fulfilling a purpose? Or am I just kind of going through life existing and none of us want to be there? Our hearts are hungry for satisfaction, for purpose, for meaning, for, for constant happiness, for flourishing. We want to live a blessed life. We desire these things. And just like physical hunger that comes in waves, you're not just consistently hungry. Some of you are. But most of us are, are going through hunger in waves. Some, it's shorter periods of time every few hours. Some, you know, of us eat less often. But the same is true of our hearts. It comes in waves. There are times where it's mass, right? Like things are going well. Our job is going well. Relationships are going well. Social life is going well. And so we feel like, you know, life's pretty good. Moving forward in a positive direction, I feel like I'm making a difference in my job. Relationships are progressing pretty well. I mean, not everybody always has issues, but... Things are pretty good, but there's always waves. And every one of us has been there where you're at that moment where you're just thinking to yourself, am, am I doing the right thing? Am I living the right way? Am I making a difference? Am I missing out on something? It's like FOMO of the heart, you know? Am I living to my greatest potential? Am I flourishing? We have those questions and we have those desires. And what happens is, depending on where we are in, in kind of the ebb and flow of, of life or whether things are good right now or whether things are a struggle and we're asking those questions, we, we try everything to fill it, right? We try so many different things. We, we pursue our career. We try relationships and try to find love or start a family to fill that desire, that eternity that's been set in our heart. We think, well, maybe if I just kind of create a well-rounded social life or I'm going to go try yoga and meditation, or maybe some of you are thinking, well, once I just move to a new city, right? I'm just going to, a new experience, change of scenery. And we try all of these different things, and there's this sinking feeling like, man, I don't feel like I have it fully. I'm not there. I'm not flourishing. I'm not living the blessed life yet. And we struggle with that. We think to ourselves all the time and in different ways because we have different things that we're hungry for and different interests and different things that we think is going to fill the hunger of our heart. So some of you are thinking, you know what, once I get promoted and I get to this next level in my career, then I'm going to be satisfied. I just know it. And some of you are thinking, once I reach this place in terms of my lifestyle and the freedom that this lifestyle will give me, then I'll be satisfied. Some of us think, you know, once I develop a, a more deep and uh, profound and important social life, then I'll be satisfied. Or once I find love, then I'll be satisfied. Or once I start a family, then I'll be satisfied. 
We try all of these different things, and we think all these different things will work, and if we're honest, they don't seem to quite do it. They may provide momentary happiness, and they may be a joy in our life, and they're all good things, but they don't quite connect with us. And so what happens is there's, there's two types of people, I think, in general, in the way that we respond to the hunger of our hearts, the eternity that's set in our hearts, and all these questions that we're asking and trying to fill. Some of us are optimists, right? The grass is greener on the other side. That's how we think. So we're just thinking, yes, once I get the promotion, yes, once I find love, yes, once I get the social life, yes, I'll just try a new hobby and I'll master that. That will make me feel satisfied like I've accomplished something. The optimist is thinking grass is greener on the other side, we're charged, we're going forward, and then there's a pessimist in the room. We have some pessimists that think the grass is not green on the other side, the grass is dead everywhere. It's just dead everywhere. I've tried it all. I've tried the job. I've tried the relationship. I've tried the social life. I've tried the skill. I've tried the hobby. I mean, I've tried new experiences. I've traveled the world. I've tried everything. It's not working. So the pessimist, typically most optimists eventually become the pessimist, where it's like, yep, grass is dead everywhere. So what the pessimist does is you think to yourself, you know what? I don't think, I'm not under any illusion that those things are somehow going to satisfy the deep longings of my heart. And so what I'm going to do instead is just do what I feel in the moment. I'm just going to, to take whatever I can, whatever I feel, whatever sounds fun. So I'm going to settle almost for momentary happiness because momentary happiness is better than like no happiness or for running after something that I think is going to make me satisfied and it doesn't. So I'm just going to take whatever comes in the moment and I'll shift my life and I'll shift my lifestyle and I'll change jobs or I'll do this or I'll do whatever I need to feel like I'm flourishing. Our hearts are hungry. Really, our hearts are hangry. <laughs> And all of us in this room seek to fill that and to quench that longing in different ways and through different means. And it, it's understood. Jeremiah 2.13, another book in the Old Testament, speaks of this where God says this. He says, for my people, this is God speaking, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So here's the bad news. This includes all of us. So all of us have committed two evils. Here's the first. We have forsaken God and the fountains of living waters. So all of us, in some ways, small and large, have looked at God and what he says and how he defines satisfaction and happiness and the answer to how to fill the longing of your heart. And we've said, yeah, but I'm going to try this. This seems like it's going to do better for me. This feels more right to me. Or we choose a few things that God says, we'll try those, but then we're going to try these as well. We've all rebelled against it. We've all like done a little bit of God and a little bit of this or no God and all of that. This is all of our story where we've rebelled, rejected, ignored, or just been indifferent towards God. That's the first evil, and, and the first evil really lends itself to the second. And I think that the most dangerous and kind of the haunting thing about the second evil that Jeremiah speaks about is that we don't often realize that it's true of us. And that's this, that we have hewed out cisterns. They're jars or, or vats that hold water. We have hewed out cisterns for themselves or ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So this is our story. This is the story of humanity is that we have rejected, rebelled, or just been indifferent towards God and what he says in a relationship with him and following his ways and his wisdom and his truth. 
And we've instead turned to build our own cisterns. And so we've created and manufactured our own cisterns, which is really just your heart. And we think, listen, in order for me to be satisfied, to flourish, to find a blessed life, to be consistently happy, and to answer all the longings of my heart that have been given to me by my creator, I think the best path forward is for me to choose the ways to do that. So we create these cisterns, which are our heart, and we just go fill it with anything that we feel. And we all have different tastes and different interests, and we try a bunch of different things. But the problem is we don't realize that it's actually broken. It's got a hole in the bottom. Maybe you feel this, right? Like, there are times where you filled it with enough water and enough things that it's above 50%, so you're feeling pretty positive. You're feeling like life's going pretty well. But it will drain out, and it will get lower, and then you've got to try something else to fill it back in. This is the struggle of our lives. We're continually trying to fill it, and it doesn't get filled. But we always dream, right? We create these scenarios where we imagine a fully satisfied life. Have you been there? Have you created those scenarios in your mind where you're thinking about the future and your dreams and what you want to accomplish? And you're like, once I accomplish this, once I get there, man, life is going to be so sweet. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be flourishing. It's going to be a blessed life. And we've been doing this since we were young, right? Kids love fairy tales, dragons and castles and weird creatures and interesting relationships between all the creatures and stories of adventure and triumph. But not just kids. We grow up loving those, and, and we still love them. We love stories of wonder and adventure, journeys through difficulty that ends in triumph. That's why we love Star Wars, and we love superhero movies and fantasy epics. And post-apocalyptic, that's the end now. Post-apocalyptic journeys, but the ult ultimately win. We love these stories. They speak to us because we're always thinking about what could be. We're always imagining something that's, that's greater than our current experience. But that's not true when you're really little. It's really interesting. Kids love fantasy tales, and so do adults. But toddlers, they love reality tales. It's like reality is cool enough. G.K. Chesterton is a philosopher and author and theologian. He writes this. He says, a child of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened the door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. If you've ever read a child's, a toddler's book, some of them have, you know, fantasy and imaginative elements because imagination is growing in them. But a lot of them are like this. This is a real book. A boy woke up and it was snowing outside. And so he put on his coat and he walked outside and he stepped in the snow. And as he walked, it went chimp, 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 chimp. And he looked back and he saw that his feet made tracks. And so he made a snowball. And then he put the snowball in his pocket and he went back home. And then he reached in his pocket at night to find the snowball and it melted and he was sad. So he went to bed, but he woke up in the morning and it was snowing again. So he went back outside. That's the story. And when we read that, it's like, okay. But when toddlers read it, it's like, what? He walked in the snow, and he made a snow, and it melted, it's snowing again. This is amazing. See, reality for a toddler is cool enough because what they're enamored by, what they're enthralled by is what can be, what's possible. There's no need to imagine because they just want to explore. 
They want to explore the world. That's why you can give a child, a little toddler, a water bottle. And they'll play with the water bottle for hours, an Amazon box. You can just say, open and close that door for an hour. It's like, wow, cool, look at this go. See, when we're young, we are just enthralled by what is possible, by what can be. But as we grow up, or as we quote-unquote mature, we stop being enamored with the present. And we begin to doubt whether things are possible. And so we dream and we fantasize about what could be. And the problem is, as we go through life, we never quite get to our fantasies. And so satisfaction seems like, there's no way I'm going to really find that. Constant happiness, blessing, flourishing. I mean, I'm going to try, but I don't know. And Jesus here, in, in the fourth beatitude, the fourth blessing, is kind of asking us to to think like a toddler in the sense of saying, yes, you know what? Satisfaction, the thing that your heart actually is longing for more than anything, the questions that you ask about what does it mean to live right? What does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to, to find happiness? How do you quench the hunger of your heart? It, it's, it's actually achievable. It's possible. You don't have to dream about it. You have to listen to this one very simple line. And here's what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So we've been saying in this series that the beginning part of each of these verses, the beginning part is what is lived out, and the second part is what is poured out. And so what Jesus is saying here is satisfaction is poured out by God, the very God that created the longing in your heart in the first place, and he knows how to, to fill it so that it's not leaking in a broken cistern, but to, to patch the hole so that you will be satisfied, that God will pour out satisfaction on you when you live out hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So we have a very important question, which is, okay, hungering and thirsting, meaning desiring, running after, when our hearts are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we will find satisfaction poured out. So what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is God's standard lived out. It's God's standard lived out. So it is living out the things that God values, the things that God defines as good and right. That is what is righteous. So love and justice and forgiveness. But what happens for us sometimes is when you hear that, maybe you're feeling this right now, you hear that, you're like, okay, that's a lot of things. And I don't even know if I can do three I mean, if you're thinking about all the things that God values and defines as good and right, you're like, we could probably list a whole bunch of things, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience. It's like, patience, you have me there. I'm not going to do that. So how in the world do I actually live out God's standard? How, how do I see this become true in my life? Because there's so many things that that means I kind of feel overwhelmed. I feel like I can't do anything. I'm just going to throw my hands up. Well, Jesus is generous in the Beatitudes. He has eight Beatitudes here. And if you look in your worship program, they're all there. We've been reading them every week. That's on purpose. He highlights four of them that are to be lived out. It's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, if you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're going to live out God's standard, just take these four Beatitudes that are lived out in regards to how you interact with other people and start with those. And one of them is what we talked about last week, which is be meek. It's meekness, mercy, 
pure in heart, and be a peacemaker. Start by being a peacemaker, by seeking to be pure in heart, by showing mercy, and by being meek. This is God's standard lived out. What I think is so interesting here is that as you're thinking about this, a lot of times I think when you hear the word righteousness or righteous, you often associate it with religion. You feel that? Like the religious are righteous and the righteous are religious. It's very interesting to me that when Jesus is talking about living out his standard, which means you're living it out in your office, in your home, with strangers, when no one's looking, it encapsulates every aspect of your life. Jesus does not say here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for religion. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here's why. Because there's a hunger that's been set in your heart. Eternity has been set in your heart. There's a longing. And our natural proclivity, as we've already seen, is to reject, ignore, or just treat God's word and relationship with him and trusting him and to turn away and to create our own cistern and to try everything else and just keep pouring the water in. We can try to do that out there. But you can do the same thing here. You can create a broken cistern by being religious, and you will be unsatisfied. It's just as easy to do, to make the source of your satisfaction your religious adherence. And so maybe you think your cistern looks a little bit better because you've polished it more, but there's still a hole in the bottom. And what happens is this. You think to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to live out God's standard, and I'm going to live out being righteous, and here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to be really consistent going to church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to give financially and my time and my talent. I'm going to listen during the sermon and take notes. You start to build up all this religious activity and you scoop it into your cistern. You think to yourself, I'm doing the righteous thing because I'm being religious. And what you've done is you've made your religious adherence the thing that you think is going to bring you satisfaction, and it's not going to bring you satisfaction. You're going to be really disappointed, and then you're going to stop being religious <laughs> because it's not going to satisfy you. You see, it's important to recognize what Jesus is really saying here because religion is self-focused. When you are religious or you're defined as religious, it's typically just saying that you're self-righteous, Right? Your righteousness is in yourself, in what you do and what you don't do. But what Jesus is speaking about here is not living out religion. It's living out righteousness, which is living like Jesus. And that's a big difference because Jesus is not self-focused. He's other-focused. So when you live out righteousness, you are living out the life and the way of Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of righteousness, so it's not to live out religion as somehow that's going to satisfy you. It's to live like Jesus. And so what happens in, is when you begin to engage in religious activities, you view them differently. You don't come to church because you're checking it off the list and you're scooping it into your cistern thinking that's going to satisfy you. You're coming to church because you're going to worship God and spend time with God's people. It's other-focused. It's God-focused and other-focused. You don't take notes and listen during the sermon so that you know, people around you can see that you're like really religious and you're taking notes and you can build a little binder and feel really good about yourself. 
You're doing it because you want to internalize God's word so that you might have opportunities to share it with others. You don't serve because it's like, yeah, I'm on the serve team. Did you see they asked people to serve and I signed up? Did you? You're serving because you want to serve other people. You don't give because it's like, well, I mean, I'm in church. It's like kind of paying your dues or something, so I'm supposed to give. No, you give because you want to give that it might benefit and serve and bless other people. You don't join a community group because it's the right and religious thing to do. You join a community group so you might engage with other people and you might encourage other people and support and care for and pray for other people. So there's a big difference between treating religion and religious adherence and religious activities as your path to, sat- to satisfaction. It's not going to work. You're going to be disappointed. Jesus is saying to live out righteousness is to live like him. It's to follow his way. And that is a big, big difference. And so what happens when I think we hear this, that satisfaction is poured out on those who live like Jesus, who live out God's standard. We typically respond in one of two ways. The first way is pride. You think to yourself, which is, great, now I know what I need to do. I just need to be better. I just, you know, like, I'm going to be more loving and more forgiving. I'm going to be meek and merciful. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to be pure. I'm just going to do all this stuff because I can do it. You're going to be really disappointed if that's the case, right? You're going to revert again to religious adherence, and you're going to see pride well up in you as if you have the ability to create and generate your own satisfaction. You're just doing the same thing all over again. You've created the cistern, which is you're going to be better. And if you've ever sought to live like Jesus, to live according to God's standard, you know it's not simple. It is a struggle. So one, you may think of it in a prideful way, which is dangerous. And then the second way is also dangerous, which is doubt. And maybe you're there. Maybe you've you know, been to church. Or you're like, Carter, I've heard this sermon. Live like Jesus. I've heard it. And I've tried it. And it didn't work. You know, I, I've been going to church. I've joined a community group. I've served. I read my Bible. I've prayed. I've done all the things. And I have not experienced satisfaction poured out. So you know what? I'll still do a little bit of that. But I'm also going to keep trying everything else just to find something. And why they're dangerous is if you seek to just be better to find satisfaction, you're going to be disappointed. And if you doubt what Jesus is saying here, you're going to miss out. You're going to just live your life settling for a broken cistern. And that's exhausting. So the question is, what then is our reaction? If satisfaction is poured out to our hearts, which is the longing of our hearts, it's been created by God and set there, and it's poured out on those who live like Jesus, who live according to God's standard, then how do you do that? Well, two ways. You struggle and you listen. You struggle and you listen. You see, seeking a life that is flourishing and finding consistent happiness, living the blessed life and seeing satisfaction poured out on your life is not simple. It is a struggle. So struggling to follow after Jesus, struggling to live out righteousness is truly real. It is not easy. You are not going to succeed every day. You are going to fail a lot. I fail all the time. It is a struggle. And I love what Martin Luther says. He says this. 
He says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not gleam in glory, but all is being purified. I love this quote because... Martin Luther is tapping into something so important, which is what Jesus is saying here, is that satisfaction, answers to the questions that your heart longs to know, is actually possible. We grow towards it. We struggle towards it. We are being healed, and we're being purified, and we're being challenged, and we're growing. We're becoming. And so we don't have to think in fantasy. We can actually know that it's possible, and we can live in reality and explore but it is a struggle. It is a day in, day out grind with times of running and times of jogging and times of walking and times of crawling forward. And it's important to embrace that. It's why the first two beatitudes, we've been saying the first two blessings that you're poor in spirit and that you're mourning over your sin and its consequences are so important. Because when you recognize that you're bankrupt, that you're flawed, you, you're, you're broken, you, have, you make a lot of mistakes, and you'll continue to make mistakes, and you have nothing to offer God except to accept his love and faith and his forgiveness. When you're there, and then you actually take time to think about your, your sin and its consequences, not just on yourself but others, and you mourn over that, you're under no illusion that somehow you're just going to be better, and you're also in a position where you can really trust what Jesus is saying here, and you can struggle day in, day out to live according to God's standard, to struggle to live like Jesus. The struggle is really important, but it's not of first importance. The, the second aspect of what it means to live out righteousness is the most important, which is that you listen to Jesus. If you're going to struggle to live like Jesus, you actually have to listen to him. Listen to what Isaiah 55 says, it says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, has nothing to offer, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why did you spend your money for that which is not bread? First he's saying, when you come to Jesus, you'll find what you're looking for. You'll find answers, you'll find satisfaction, you'll find peace, you'll find flourishing and happiness and the desires of your heart. And look at the second part. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. See, when you take the time to listen to Jesus, you find what is good and you can partake of that. You can eat of that. It will quench the hunger of your heart. When you incline your ear to Jesus and you listen you're going to find that your soul can live, that you're going to flourish. You're going to find happiness and blessing and all the things that you desire, that righteousness isn't lived out and satisfaction isn't poured out on your life unless you are listening to Jesus and struggling forward. I want to end with the words of Jesus, and they're really important because listening to Jesus doesn't only mean listening to his way and his truth and his wisdom, though it does mean that. It also means listening to his love because as you're struggling, you're going to need encouragement. I need encouragement. And here's what Jesus says to us. He says, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're struggling with pride or with doubt or with insecurity or with anxiety or with fear or with a feeling of unworthiness. He's saying, come to me. Like, come to me. Encounter me. Spend time with me. And you're going to find rest. You're going to know that you're forgiven, that your love doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are loved. You are accepted. You are a part of his kingdom. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love this because he's saying when, when you spend time with Jesus, when you listen to him and his words, you don't find judgment. You don't find punishment. You don't find rejection. You don't hear, like, go clean yourself up, get more religious, and come back when you're, when you're a little bit better, and then we can talk. He's gentle. And he will teach you gently. He will share his wisdom and his ways with you gently. He will encourage you forward. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's such a blessing to hear that from Jesus, from our Savior. That when you're struggling to live like him because you're not perfect, (laughs) because we are poor in spirit because we realize we're spiritually bankrupt and we have flaws and we have a lot of mistakes and we're not going to make it and we're going to struggle time and time and time and time again. That when you listen to Jesus, you know that his way is light. He removes the burden. He removes the fear that you're not going to measure up and God is angry because you're not quite there yet, but you're on the path of becoming because you really do trust what Jesus says here, which is when you live like Jesus, when you follow his way, when you're living out God's standard, you're seeking to be meek and merciful and and a peacemaker and pure in heart, that satisfaction will be poured out to you. And I want to close by saying this. This is why gathering together as the church to worship is important. It's why joining a community group is important. Reading your Bible is important. Praying is important because all of these things and many more are ways that you listen to Jesus. It's ways that you hear from Jesus, his words, his wisdom, his love that encourage you you forward to struggle on the path of living out righteousness. You see, like religious actions and religious activities will never provide satisfaction, but these things that we call religious actions or activities will open up a pathway for you to listen to Jesus, to know that you're loved and encouraged forward to struggle to live like him. It's such a great blessing that we have this because we can hear the words of Jesus and we can be encouraged forward to live like him. This is Jesus's culture. This is the culture of his kingdom that we listen to our king and we know that we are free to struggle to live like him. Will you pray with me?